so fun to be here with you this morning. We are going to look at the, the title of today's message is Merry Chris Myths. Merry Chris Myths. Are there myths that we've maybe believed about Christmas that aren't true? What if this whole thing isn't true? What if? Merry Christmas and how not to miss the real Christmas meaning. How not to miss the real Christmas meaning. Last month, I got the chance to be in this city, the city of Bethlehem. The city of Bethlehem. Where Jesus was born in about 4 B.C. Really. When I was in Nazareth, I was really curious bought all this stuff from a vendor. He was from France. He spoke 11 languages. I just asked him, I'm in Nazareth, Jesus' hometown. I just asked him. I said, hey, sir, I got to ask you a question straight up. Give me the real deal. Do you really think Jesus? Do you really think Jesus? Did Jesus live here? He goes, yes. I'm like, that's awesome. I heard from a guy living in Nazareth, Jesus really lived here. I need that kind of stuff, don't you? Need the facts. What kind, of, what kind of myths maybe have you believed that aren't accurate? I've got, a, I've got a little test question for you this morning. Okay? You come with family? You get to have a little trivia right now. A little trivia. Here we go. Let's see, let's, see, let's see who's the smartest in your family. How's that sound? And that whoever's the smartest buys lunch, right? Whoever's not the smartest has to do dishes. How about that? There'll be a lot of them this week, weren't there? So here we go. First question. <clears throat> Who were the Magi? What was their profession? The Magi. What was their profession? Uh, keep your smartphones down. Don't, uh, you can't Google search. All cell phones down. What were they? Anybody? Anybody want to be bold? What was their profession? What was their profession? How about someone go bold? What were they? They study the stars. Astronomers. Yeah. Chirp, chirp. <laughs> chirp, chirp. Yes, in the back. They appointed a new king. Okay. Anybody else? Okay. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. We ain't doing that, right? Right, okay. So, <clears throat> the myth, the myth is that, and this has gone on for years because they, um, because of some, passages in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, the myth is that they were necessarily kings. That's the myth. The truth is, they were wise men. Wise men. That's the most general title you can give their role because their role in this narrative, they're doing two things. They're following the stars, okay? Some of them have been called astrologers or astrologists, and we're not promoting astrology this morning. Don't, that's not your Merry Christmas gift. Uh, but also, uh, dream interpreters. And this is very, so they have a very, they're Middle Eastern council to, to the state. And the role is very similar for you Old Testament scholars. Very similar to the role that the council served Nebuchadnezzar, the uh, king of Babylon in Daniel chapter 2 and several chapters in the book of Daniel, but also 
the way the council served Pharaoh in the book of Exodus under Moses' leadership. So Wiseman is the most generic, accurate answer I think there is. Okay? How many of you got it right? Wiseman. Cool. We have four. Wow. How many are not up? Just like, I want to go to sleep right now. Okay, you can. You have permission to do that. You do. Okay. Myth number two. How many magi were there? How many? We got, what was the answer? Three. Three, okay. Three going once. Three going twice. Chris, I'm real curious if you know this one. I bet you do. I bet you do. Heidi? Three? Okay. How many are good with three? Let's do three. Awesome. Good, good. Bad answer. The answer is not three. It's not in the New Testament. It's not there. You won't find it. There's no number three in there. There are three gifts. But that does that... At your Christmas party, does everyone just bring one gift? We don't know. <laughs> Some people come without gifts, right? So here's, here's one of the... When we read the narrative here in just a minute, you'll notice. There were enough magi to disturb the city of Jerusalem. And the king of Jerusalem at that time, by the Roman government. Roman Senate anointed or pronounced King Herod is the king. So there were enough that all of Jerusalem and Herod was disturbed. Enough of them. Some, I've, heard, I've heard high numbers. It could have been a bunch of people, a bunch of magi. Okay. Myth number two. Oh, shoot. Can't, can't go first. Okay. Myth number three. What did they, what was their mode of transportation? Mode of transportation, Julie, what was it? Come on. What was the mode? What? Oh, we're looking at the nativity scene. What were they on? Did I hear Jeep? Does that sound awesome or what? That's a guy who knows how to spend Christmas break well. Let's get in a Jeep. Don't think so. Okay. Camels. Okay. Camel horses. Donkeys. <laughs> okay, so here, here, here's more than likely they were from the Babylon area. And in that time, uh, camels were used like, like pack mules. More than likely, they weren't on camels. More than likely, they were on Arabian horses. Okay? Fun ride, fast. Woo! A lot of fun. Okay. Myth number three <clears throat> was camels. Myth number four. I mean, Arabian horses. Myth number four. Who was at the manger scene? At the birth of Jesus. Who was there? How many of you are like, I'm not answering who was there? And who wasn't? So who was there? In the first service, we heard Mary. I thought, you got to give him that. She was there. And then we heard, actually, Jesus. Someone felt really confident with Jesus. It was awesome. They're like, Jesus. Like if we're, yeah. And then someone said, Joseph. And we're like, oh, we hope so, man. No, you can't. We hope so. Can't assume, though, can you? But we assume Joseph was there. You're right. Shepherds, you know the shepherds were there. Awesome. God was there because it says God with us. And God came in the form of a baby. Animals, definitely, because Jesus was placed in a manger where animals go to eat. Who else was the drummer boy? <laughs> Little drummer boy? 
<laughs> little drummer like, <laughs> okay. Who else was there? Angels. They had appeared to the to to the shepherds. Were the magi there? Even pastors make this mistake. Yes, you're right. The manger scene had the assembly of shepherds, not the magi. They came later. And you'll get to see as I read the narrative how we know that. So here's the question. Most of you that are here probably believe that the birth of Christ is not a myth. Probably, okay? There may be a few of you that actually question the historicity of Jesus and whether or not he lived. That's possible, okay? But here's the question I have for you. Do we live our lives like the birth of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection is a myth? Or do we live our lives like the birth of Jesus, his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection is real? And he sits on the right hand of his Father in heaven. How do we live our lives? Because I would suggest by today's presentation that there are some experiences that we can have that some actually question whether or not are possible. And I'll show you what those are. Some might say that's not possible. And I'll show you they are. You ready? You ready? Josh, are you ready? You don't look ready. Are you ready? Here we go. Okay. Here we go. Here's the narrative. After, when I get to the red, read with me, would you? After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of Herod, of King Herod, this is, this is before 4 BC, probably 5, Say it with me. Where'd they come from? East. Came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and... So this was quite a, quite in a, quite a, um, a group, a gathering of magi. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he actually had, he, he usurped authority over the Levitical priesthood. He actually appointed the high priest. It's kind of weird. He asked them where the Messiah was to be born. The chosen one is what the word, the anointed one is the word. And I got to tell you about this Herod. This is my son Grant and I. We're at Herodium, which is southwest of Jerusalem. This is where Herod wanted to be buried. And this Herod, again, was identified as a king by the Roman Senate. He had married into a Jewish family. Uh, He considered himself the king. And he, by evidence of his incredible architectural developments, he wanted to be the Solomon of the first century. Solomon was an incredible architect. The second king, rather third king of Israel. And he built Herodium as a place where he would be remembered. And it's literally a theater. It's a United Artists Theater. It's, a, it's the Benvenuti. It's, it's a theater. It's incredible. And just in the last, I think it's 60 years, they actually found his tomb. And this is me pretending to be the guy who got Herod. This Herod, he was, I think it's important to call out, he was evil. He was evil. Let me give you, let me give you a little bio on him. So he was married nine times. He had nine wives or married nine times, not sure. But he, he actually, one of his wives really caused him to be um, paranoid, so he killed her. And, and he had a couple sons that were threatening to him, so he killed them. 
And the other thing is, before he died, he, he ordered that a group of people be killed so that people would be mourning in the area. Yeah, the guy's crazy. So, anyways, you got to call evil what it is, evil. And I was happy to have found his tomb. It was kind of fun. Here's the narrative. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. So Herod asked the question, where's the Messiah to be born? In Bethlehem of Judea, five miles south of Jerusalem, not far. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah. Now, Judah is that region of land named after one of the sons of Jacob, Judah, one of his 12 sons. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are no means least among the rulers of Judah. In other words, they they were somewhat subject to Jerusalem, but the leader of all leaders was coming out of Bethlehem, of which Sacramento is a sister city. Because one of the mayor of Bethlehem, about 10 years ago, his grandchildren attended uh, Natomas uh, Charter School. FYI. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. That ruler is Jesus, the shepherd. Then Herod called the Magi secretly. And found, when people have secrets, you've got to be careful. And found out from the the exact time the star had appeared, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may... Mm. Really? That's what you want to do, Herod? After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. You had joy? That kind of joy? Did you see the meteor last week? Talk about it. On, oh, he's in a house now. You see the change there? Not in the manger. He's in a house. He, he, He got the Airbnb upgrade. They saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they, and worshiped. Nothing wrong with bowing down. When's the last time in your prayer time you got on your knees and bowed down? It's very appropriate. To Jesus. Bow down to Jesus. Then they opened their treasuries and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream, I still think God speaks to us in our dreams. I think it's very possible. God gave me a dream the other day that I got pulled over by a policeman for doing something I shouldn't have. I've stopped doing it. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So we've talked about myths of Christmas. I'm going to present to you, I think, three myths that are out there that, will, that if you practice will, will change you personally. Three myths, and I'll show you how to practice them that I think will really help you. I'm going to present them in a little different way, but I'll try to explain them to you. So the question we're going to try to answer this morning is how not to miss the real meaning of Christmas. How not to miss it. And the first step, I've chosen just to use verbs here, is to investigate. And the question, I think, the myth is, can you know that Jesus was a historical figure that did, that was born in Bethlehem, did, that did live in Nazareth, that did live a life in the first century where he w- would die, buried and resurrected from the dead, and he really did ch- appear to over 500 followers for over 40 days and change the whole Roman world for which we're here today? Did that all happen? Can you know that? A lot of people would say, no, you can't know that. I think you can. I think you know it the way you know anything else. I'll show you how. 
So here's the narrative. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, which is still extant today. And they went their way. They saw the star they had seen in the east. They went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw, they were overjoyed. They had joy. Last week, last week, 5.35 p.m., at 40 to 50 miles up in the southwest sky, this meteor showed. Did anyone see it? I'm not kidding. It was awesome. It was incredible. Uh, it, was, it really brought joy to me. I'm not kidding. So much joy that when I, when I looked down and saw the Lexus symbol right in front of me, I panicked. I almost hit a car because I wasn't paying attention. This was, this was so beautiful in the sky. Can you imagine the kind of joy and excitement that the Magi, the wise men had, as they're following this star for which they studied? I mean, it, it was a, a way for them to interpret the times to interpret even, they study the stars to try to project the future often. That's the kind of excitement that they had, the kind of joy they had. They investigated it. They followed up. They did, they did the thinking. They did the research. H- how do we investigate to know whether or not the things that we've learned or been taught are true? It's very simple. You ask this question. What what do the New Testament writers say about Jesus? These are the, the eyewitnesses. What do they say about Jesus? What do they say about him? And when I say the New Testament writers, I'm talking about John, Jesus' witness. I'm talking about Matthew. I'm talking about Dr. Luke. I'm talking about Mark. And you read what they say and let them comment on what they saw. That's the most authoritative witness we have for the life and the history of Jesus. We also have two of his brothers that talked about the life of Jesus, James and Jude. James refers himself to himself as a bondservant, a willing servant of Jesus. Now, whenever your brother says he's your bondservant, something life-changing has happened in his life. Okay? John, James and Jude both were brothers of Jesus, and they both... Give us eyewitness information on the life of Jesus. You have to investigate. You have to search. And as you read, it will speak to you. Now, here's some other fascinating history. Because some of you, some of you might be thinking, I know the whole New Testament. No, I know it all. I know it. I've heard it for years. Really? When's the last time you've listened to it? When's the last time you've read it? Why is it you don't read it? You ever wonder that? Think on that. Why? Why? Because people have been, scholars have been studying it for centuries. It's fascinating. It's deep. And it'll, it'll change your heart. But you've got to investigate it. You're like, how do I start? How do I start? So here's, here's one way you start. Download this app. It's a great app to get to know the New Testament. Put it on your phone. You, can, you don't even have to read it. You know what you can do? Play it. Let it, let it speak to you. And some other resources that come out of the first three centuries, I think, are worth the read. Here's a few. A few scholars, historians, that comment on the life of Jesus. One of the best ones is Josephus. First century, non-believing writer. Wrote tons and wrote about Jesus. The other is a third century writer, fourth century, Eusebius, who wrote Eusebius' Ecclesiastical History of the Church. Excellent read. Comments on all the early church fathers. A second century work is the Didache. Fascinating comment on the first century. And then another one 
that I like is just the apostolic fathers, like Polycarp, Ignatius, just to read them. I'm not, they don't have the authority that Jesus gave his, his New Testament writers, but they're fascinating to see that Christianity is embedded in history. And here's, here's why investigation is so important. Because sometimes I don't feel like following Jesus. Sometimes I don't feel it, right? And sometimes we got to remember that <laughs> your feelings are, are not going to help you all the time. you got to have a faith that's based on reason and evidence, right? And so those books will help you. Uh, Eusebius, if you Google him, um, and Didache, those are all good extra New Testament books. That, but the best books are just listening to John or Mark or Luke. Are you with me? And some of you are like, I'm not with you. So let me just say, let me say another thing. Another one. Google. Okay? If you're like, I don't know where to start. Have you ever used Google? Have you heard about this incredible information engine? Put in Google, and you've got to be discriminatory when you read it. You've got to use some filters. You've got to think through it because not everything is on Google's right. But you can find great information online. Uh, investigate. Have a faith that's based on reason. One myth, that Christianity is not reasonable. Study up. Most people like that, I say, be an honest doubter. Look at the, look at the evidence. Okay? All right, number two. How not to miss the real meaning of Christmas? Number one, investigate. Number two, adore. Say that word with me. Adore. Adore means to love. It means to love. And these these magi were overjoyed, as I read earlier, when they saw Jesus with his mother and Joseph. They got to see that a king was born, a true king, the king of Israel, which Jesus fulfilled. That's why those long lists, one of those long lists in the book of Luke describes him as the, or Matthew rather, describes him as the king, that he really was the heir of the, Jeru- of the throne of Israel, which made Herod intimidated. Oh, poor guy. <laughs> this couple, this is a Shah, uh, a Muslim Shah. This couple was, is well-known, I'll tell you uh, in a moment why they're so well-known. They had a great relationship. Uh, sh- they got married when she was 19 years old. I don't know his age. Uh, she had 14 children, and busy, and uh, they loved playing chess for real. She actually was very influential in his political career. And yet, when she had her 14th child, she passed away during delivery. Super sad. And he adored her. And the fascinating thing is that uh, he built a house for her. He built an amazing home for her that I've seen personally. You get the dream house when you die. That's not very fair, is it? But he built an incredible home for her. And he built it so it would serve as a mausoleum, right? Right? But the problem with this construction is that it was, it was delayed after her death and there was some question as to the whereabouts of her body. And so everyone on the globe comes and visits the home he built for her. It's considered one of the seven wonders of the world. It has incredible optics, many obstacle illusions on the campus when you see it. But what's fascinating about it, the Taj Mahal, is that, built for her, is that they're not even sure all of her got in her tomb under, in the basement. And the reason I, I illustrate it is sometimes we get so excited about the big, the epic, the bigger and better, the lights, the excitement, that like the Taj Mahal that was built for 
his wife and her memory. Sometimes we can miss the real meaning of what's big and epic around us, right? Sometimes we can miss the, the, the little important moments because we're so focused on the big ones. And, and, and for this, for the Taj Mahal, it was, this was built for her, but it took a while to find out where she was so they could bury her bones, place her bones underneath, underneath the mausoleum. Is it possible that we get all ramped up and excited about Christmas and the big of Christmas, the fun, and we can miss Emmanuel, the baby? I like how Rick Warren describes our nature to want to be a part of the big, the epic, the grandeur, the huge, and we can miss. We, the intimate, the close, the small. This kind is much more important than the epic, the big, the huge, the expectations of your neighbors, your friends, your family, your popularity going viral, uh, not something I'm struggling with. Little things and little perspectives make huge differences in our world, little things. Folks, what I want to kind of debunk is this idea that you can't experience Jesus personally in this life, the resurrected one. And the idea for me is that you experience Jesus personally when you take some of the expectations of Christmas off and you open your eyes up to those little moments, the little ones. I was running the other night at North Natobis Regional Park about 8 o'clock at night. This time of year, it felt like 20 degrees below zero. And there was a family walking toward me with some children. And I passed them once, and one of the boys started running with me. And, and I was like, I was running for time, so I didn't want to slow down. Well, he kept following me on my course. So I, I did a lap around, and he was coming at me. And I decided, you know what, you arrogant, slow 51-year-old, quit thinking of yourself and run with this boy. So I slowed down. And we got to have a little jog. We didn't even know each other. We're jogging together, and his parents are like, gee, gee, gee. you know, it's all really a fun moment. Sometimes we're going too fast to enjoy these little moments. Or we have these big expectations when really it's the little ones that are so special. Imagine these magi, they come to Jerusalem. I was in Jerusalem. I like Jerusalem better than any city I've ever been in. They're in the presence of King Herod. They don't want to see King Herod or Jerusalem. They want to see the moment that was happening in Bethlehem in a manger. The little moments. And some of you are facing difficult times, difficult seasons. Look for Jesus in the little moments. The hug, the note, the picture, the fact that you're loved deeply by God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that when you believed in him, you wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. That you're loved. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're loved. Yeah. Now tell him, sorry, I wasn't very nice to you this morning. (laughs) You're loved. That's the little moment you're loved. That's what's awesome. That's all you know today. That's all you need to know. So how do we avoid missing the Christmas moment? Investigate. Your faith can be, in, can, can be based on reason. You can grow in that area. Another book, Case for Christ, Case for Faith by Lee Strobel's. Great reads. Second, adore. Adore, like the Magi did. Take off the big expectations for Christmas. 
Prepare a bad meal for your family. <laughs> Just kidding. Please don't. <laughs> but take the expectations off and look for the little moments. Okay? How not to get the real meaning of Christmas. Investigate and adore. Thirdly, this is the most important one. Because this is the one we don't always believe. Transform. Do you know what Jesus taught? Jesus taught that he is at the right hand of God. He's trying to conform us and form us into his image. And you know what I hear often from people? He's never going to change. She can't change. Or one of the worst ones, I can't change. That's total, that's totally, that's a myth. The Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, some of you that maybe didn't get enough coffee, don't miss, don't, don't miss this. The Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, if you believe in Jesus, lives in you. And he has the power to turn fearful people into people of courage. He has the power to turn addicts into people who find their comfort from Jesus and his counsel spirit. He has the power of, of taking someone who's angry and bitter and resentful into someone who practices non-performance, unconditional love. He can do that. He can turn someone that's slothful into someone that's highly disciplined. Not that I've ever experienced that, but I've read about it. No, I believe he can really change you. It's called transformation. Look at what happens here, and I'll tell you how you can experience it today. Actually, next year. They experience, how do you know you're transforming? You're experiencing changed emotions. Changed emotions. They rejoiced when they saw Jesus. They rejoiced. Herod was upset. They rejoiced. By the way, next month, we start a series for families on how to bring the fruits of the Spirit into your life. And on January 6th, we're starting with joy. If you want to know how to have more joy in your marriage and family life and to take it to work and in your neighborhood, come on the 6th and we'll start that. They not only experienced changed emotions, they experienced changed values. They gave. Now, they had already given out of their time and out of their talent, but now they're giving out of their treasure. They came to the house, they saw the child was with his mother, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasuries and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Gold represents royalty. Jesus was a king. And just like his ancestor, Solomon and David, he was given tremendous amounts of gold. I wonder how much. Maybe this is how they were able to finance their trip to Egypt, which they would take shortly. But God provided for Mary and Joseph generously. Where God guides, he provides. It's still true today. Maybe not in gold, but maybe. They presented Mary and Joseph with, with frankincense, which represents divinity. And, the, and the, the point that they were making is that Jesus is God. He's God. He's fully man and fully God. We believe that. And thirdly, the myrrh that they gave him represented Jesus' death. Perhaps they had some sort of dream that told them that this boy would eventually die. It's not unusual for a dream interpreter, if you think back to Genesis, when Joseph was interpreting dreams on behalf of Pharaoh, that a dream interpreter could do so with great accuracy. Okay? Now, be, I'm, not, 
I'm not encouraging you all to go into dream interpretation. I'm saying I think sometimes God still does speak through dreams. Dreams should always be, should always synchronize with Scripture and God's will and character. Okay? If you have a dream tonight that you're going to get a Ferrari, Enzo, for Christmas, please call me. (laughs) They had a dream that perhaps that Jesus would someday die. And maybe that's why when she was presented with the myrrh, it says of Mary, and she treasured all this in her heart. She knew something was going on. Maybe it wasn't all good. It was going to be hard. Okay? They are transforming. Their emotions have transformed. Their generosity is being transformed. And when you start giving, it is an indicator of, of, of transformation because nothing competes for our heart more than our stuff. Would you agree? Not our money, our stuff, nothing competes for it more. So they, they also brought myrrh, though. And I thought it was worth noting that at the end of Jesus' life, recorded by the disciple whom he most loved, Nicodemus, who was a silent believer, brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, 75 pounds worth, taking Jesus' body, the two of them, they wrapped it with the spices in the strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. So they actually used myrrh, not the same myrrh, obviously, 30 years had passed, but they used myrrh to, to wrap Jesus. Thus, it may have been a prophecy about, about Jesus' inc- imminent death for the world. Let me pause there. Jesus wasn't just born in a manger. The manger is, is, is just the beginning. Someday Jesus would willingly suffer on a cross a substitutionary death for our sins. And that substitutionary death was so that we could have a truce, a Christmas truce with his father. The purpose of his death was so that all the selfishness and all the, 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 the selfishness that we have could be forgiven. That's why, that's why God sent his son so that his son could experience life as we experience it and then suffer a substitutionary death. So if we believed that he died for us, we would be forgiven. <sighs> forgiven. And, and that after his death and resurrection, if we believe that he resurrected, we know that someday we're going to resurrect. That's why there's still hope even when there's tough losses, even this time of year. There's hope in the resurrection. So if you've never made that decision, I'm going to give you a chance to today. We had a boy from uh, Paradise whose family has been relocated here after the campfires. And uh, he made a rededication decision to Jesus today. It was really awesome. Maybe you will today as well. Then these magi, we're almost done. These magi changed direction. They changed direction. Let me just tell you that when you're transforming here, often the Holy Spirit will lead you a different direction. This is not unusual. Uh, The Apostle Paul experienced it. With great intentions, he wanted to serve Jesus in one region, and Jesus said, no, you're going this way. And I don't, I like change, but I like it to be my idea, don't you? I don't, I'm willing to change, but don't, Jesus, don't tell me. Let me tell, right? Right? Anybody like that? No, somebody, okay. So, he told these magi, go a different direction. So how do you experience this transformation? I've talked about it. We're being formed. 
We're being conformed. We're being transformed. If you are a believer in Jesus, let me tell you, his desire by his Holy Spirit, which you know is the counselor, the guide, the teacher, the helper who lives in you, he's trying to change you into the image of Jesus to make you increasingly like his son Jesus. And he will do that by changing your emotions. He'll change your values. You'll give more time, more energy. You'll give more of your resources. You'll give more of your talents to him. And he's trying to change your heart so that he might even change the direction your life's going. Okay? He might do that for you. Now, how do you really experience this transformation? I think the primary way you'll experience it is with people. In community, in relationships, being around other Christ followers that can speak into your life. I don't mean to brag at all. So you can call me bragging if you want. I I mean to kind of humble myself a little bit, but I had the best year I've ever had this last year. Best year. Let me tell you why. It's the people I got to do life with. God used them to, to change me. I'm getting, I'm becoming a little better Christian. You might even call me one these days. How do you experience transformation? You experience transformation through relationships. And next year, our big ask of you, ready, is for you to be, to go deeper in relationships here at Adventure. Let me say it again. Our big ask of you next year is to go deeper in relationships with each other. Turn to your neighbor and say, I I could get used to you. We want you to go deeper in relationships. Do you know why? Do you know why? Because when you do that, do you know who's going to speak to you? Jesus. And he's going to change your heart. And so for the last, some of you are like, "Uh -uh, when's the sermon over? I'm out of here. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. I have no idea what I'm saying. That's actually not true. Here's the deal. For the last year and two months, we've been piloting an experience out of Nairobi, Kenya. 60 adventurers have been through it. It's called rooted. That word means radical. I want you to hear from a couple. This is how you transform rooted through relationships. Rooted is a 10-week Bible study that is inspired by the Holy Spirit and it will challenge and develop your faith. It was a great catalyst for life change. It allows us to know who God is, um, how to connect with God, what our purpose is, and how to be part of the church in our community. I like that Rooted was developed in Africa. It's a very unique Bible study, unlike others. I shouldn't say I liked it because I loved Rooted. I have been a Christian for more than 10 years, and what I loved about Rooted was that it allowed me to remember each area of my life as a Christian that I need to pay attention to, Um, whether it's serving, whether it's my commitment to daily devotions, whether it's um, evangelizing, sharing Jesus with others, um, being part of our church, and just helping grow the kingdom. Any person will benefit from Rooted, whether you have a rock-solid faith in God or someone that is struggling to see that God's real. It reminded me of the fundamentals of being a Christian. 
and personally what I need to do every day, doing a daily devotion, um, sharing Jesus with people I come across that the Holy Spirit just puts in front of me. It's something that I've been praying to God for many years to plant roots both figuratively and spiritually and rooted really filled that, that gap in my life. You're going to have that opportunity for that experience next year. It is, the, it, is, it is, we think, the most important thing for adventures growth right there, spiritual growth rooted. I hope you'll be a part of it next year. How do you not miss the real meaning of Christmas? Investigate. Use Google. Get that you version. Read those first century documents. Adore. Take the big epic expectations off Christmas. Look for the little moments, the little experiences. Run with the children out at North Natomas Regional Park. Finally, transform. How do you transform? You get around other Christians and you let them speak into your life. You get close. When your temptation is to withdraw, you lean in. That's how you grow in Jesus. I want you to have a great Christmas this year. I don't care if the food's not perfect. I want your heart to be perfect. I want you to experience Him personally.